0: From the CPRE Knowledge Hub and cprehub.org, this is Research Minutes, a deep dive into new and important research in education. Today, in partnership with Phi Delta Kappen Magazine, we're looking at educational resources and equity. How do schools and students in need fare compared to their more advantaged counterparts? And what can be done to close persistent gaps in vital areas like funding, teacher quality, and external support?
1: There's been evidence over many, many years that at least in particular contexts, disadvantaged students are less likely to be assigned teachers with more qualifications.
0: Those questions drive the May 2019 issue of Cap'n Magazine. And today we speak with contributing writer and Calder director, Dan Goldhaber. Goldhaber joins Doug Reddy, director of CPRI at Teachers College, to discuss his new and article and the latest research into the sources and impacts of teacher quality gaps.
1: In every year that we looked, there were gaps for disadvantaged and advantaged students in terms of the kind of teachers that they were assigned to, and moreover, disadvantaged students were more likely to be assigned a less credentialed or less effective teacher.
0: Goldhaber and Reddy also discuss some key takeaways and some possible solutions to one of the most complicated and pressing issues facing U.S. schools. I
1: do think that documenting the magnitude of inequities really does help us as a society kind of bend our minds around addressing them.
0: That's right now on Research Minutes.
2: Hi, I'm Doug Reddy. I'm an Associate Professor of Education and Public Policy at Teachers College, Columbia University, and the Director of the Consortium for Policy Research in Education, CPRI, at Teachers College. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dan Goldhaber, Director of the Center for Analysis of Longitudinal Data in Education Research, or CALDER, at the American Institutes for Research, or AIR. He's director of the Center for Education, Data, and Research at the University of Washington and also vice president of AIR. It's a pleasure to speak with you, Dan.
1: I'm happy to be here as well.
2: So today we're discussing your new article, co-written with Vanessa Quince and Roddy Theobald in the May 2019 issue of Phi Delta Kappa magazine titled, Teacher Quality Gaps in U.S. Public Schools, Trends, Sources, and Implications. And you begin this article with two simple, stark facts. First teacher quality is inexorably linked to student achievement. And second, disadvantaged students don't have access to the same quality of teachers as their more advantaged counterparts. Sadly, as you point out, we've known this for years, if not decades. So could we start with a little context? What do we know about teacher quality gaps in the US? And what led you to write this new article?
1: Well, thanks for the question. Uh, the impetus for the article in CAPEN was trying to distill some more technical uh, working papers and, and journal articles and get out to a broader audience the import of this issue. And as you pointed out, um, teacher quality is, is kind of a primary lever to affect student achievement. So I think that there, there is a great deal of import about teacher quality gaps. As to your question about what do, what do we know? So I would say that there's there's been evidence over many many years and it, it it is decades that at least in particular contexts and for particular measures of teacher quality that there it looks like disadvantaged students are less likely to be assigned teachers with more qualifications what we Don't know is or didn't know before we engaged in this line of research is sort of how systematic this was across a couple of different contexts. And so in this work, we were looking at the state of Washington and the state of North Carolina and and statewide and trying to discern how much of teacher quality gaps were based on um, the assignment of teachers and students within school districts, or how much of it might have to do with the the sorting of of teachers and students across different school districts. And then the second thing that we were interested in is, do do we see that there are teacher quality gaps, uh, when we have different measures of teacher quality? So not everybody agrees uh, about what kinds of measures of teachers are important. And so we were looking at three different measures of teachers, Um, two of them might be considered input based measures of teachers, Um, their performance on on licensure tests is, is one of the measures, and then their experience level is the other measure. And then the third measure is an output based or value added measure of teacher quality. And the long and short of it is, that no matter how we measured teacher quality, and also no matter how we measured student disadvantage, it looked like there were, in fact, teacher quality gaps across both states, and that the teacher quality gaps were partially due to sorting within school systems, and partially due to sorting across school systems, and lastly, that they were very long-standing. So it wasn't as if in some years there were teacher quality gaps, in some years there weren't. It was true that in every year that we looked, there were gaps for disadvantaged and advantaged students in terms of the kind of teachers that they were assigned to. And moreover, disadvantaged students were more likely to be assigned a less credentialed or less effective teacher.
2: So you've been, you've been talking about these gaps. Let's put this in um, some more perspective. How big are these gaps? How big of a problem is it? And, and why should anybody care?
1: I think that the why should they care is because we think just broadly, it's, it's kind of common sense that teacher quality matters. And that um, much more recently, over the last, you know, five or so years, we've got much more quantitative evidence about just how large an impact individual teachers can have on the lives of students. I point folks to the work by Raj Chetty and his colleagues that looks at the sort of long term impacts that teacher quality seems to have on the, the likelihood that students go on well graduate from high school go on to college their labor market earnings etc so so i think we have a a much better handle empirically on just how important teachers are and it tends to you know just buttress the common sense notion that teacher quality matters and then you ask like how big are the gaps so i can kind of quantify that in a couple of different ways one is I can quantify the likelihood that, you know, a a student who is receiving free and reduced price lunch versus a student who is not is likely to get, for instance, a very novice teacher or a teacher with low licensure tests or who looks like they are in the ineffective portion of the value added distribution. And and just to give you a a particular point estimate, um, disadvantaged students are about 25% more likely to be exposed in any year to a teacher with five or less years of teaching experience. And I think that that's an important marker because again, it's, it's kind of common sense that teachers get better um, as they gain more experience. And in fact, there's quite a lot of empirical evidence that suggests that that there's a, a pretty steep learning curve for teachers in at least their first five years of, of teaching. And then in a, another paper, with, with Roddy and an, another colleague, we try and quantify just how important are these gaps in explaining um, the gaps that we see in student outcomes. So I would point folks who want to go kind of more deep on this issue to the Calder web um, page, which is www.caldercenter.org. And if you look at the publications, there's a working paper called Teacher Quality Gaps and Student Outcomes, assessing the association between teacher assignments and student math test scores in high school course taking. I'll just read a sentence from the abstract that says, we show that teacher assignments are highly predictive of both eighth grade test scores and advanced course taking in high school, and that the difference between advantaged and disadvantaged students in teacher assignments explain significant portions of student outcome gaps. In the case of eighth grade test scores The underrepresented minority, non-underrepresented minority gap drops by about 15% and the free reduced lunch, non-free reduced lunch drops by more than 20% when we control directly for teacher assignments. So it sort of suggests that if students were assigned to comparable teachers, that, you know, a a not insignificant difference in what we see in the, the outcomes gaps for students would be eliminated.
2: That's super interesting. What, one, one thing that I really was struck by in the Kappen article is, you know, we can think about multiple levels of inequality. So think, just think about um, teacher quality for a second. There can be inequality in teacher assignment within a school, right? So think high schools, you know, AP tracks may attract um, stronger teachers, entry level ninth grade classes may attract weaker teachers. So we can have inequality within schools, right? But then we can have inequality between schools in the same district, right? And we can also have, you know, inequality between districts. So you found some some interesting differences between um, Washington State and North Carolina in in sort of the location of this inequality. Can you speak to that for a second?
1: Sure. I I would say that before getting to the differences, I would say that in both contexts, we did not find huge differences due to the sorting of teachers and students within schools. Can you um,
2: just remind um, listeners uh, what grades you were focusing on?
1: Uh, we were focusing on in in this line of work, basically grades three through eight.
2: So there there are some some pretty big um, just structural differences between North Carolina and Washington. Notably, North Carolina has. More often, you know, the county-based school systems, right, versus Washington, which is more likely to have local school districts or multiple districts within the the same county. Do you think that influenced your findings at all?
1: Yeah, and so the, thank you for for raising that. So I, I mentioned the area of commonality across the state, but what we we did find some 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 differences. So in in North Carolina, it looked like more of the inequity was due to within district sorting. And in Washington, more of the a relatively larger share was due to between district sorting. And as if you, you've pointed out, the sort of structure of the educational system in, in these two states looks different. So both states, in, in very broad terms, have about the same number of students, roughly a million students in, in the state. But Washington has you know 295 school districts, North Carolina, it's, you know, less than 100 school districts in the state. So that the size of the districts is quite different. We tried to dig into some of the, the district level factors that might explain how much of the within district sorting was due to sort of district structural issues. And, and the only thing that, that really sort of popped out is the level of segregation, in, in neighborhoods and, and that, that I think makes sense that if you have more segregated neighborhoods you might expect to see more segregated schools and and greater gaps in teacher quality in those schools because there are other things about the schools that may make it harder for certain schools to attract and retain high quality teachers And I guess the, the, the last thing I'd say on this point is that the reason we went down this route, to thinking about whether these were within district or between district issues is because they speak to the level of the policy intervention. If you wanted to try and deal with them. So if, if you're talking about within district gaps, then I sort of think about district level policy and, you know, pay structure, for instance, and maybe the other kinds of things about schools that make them desirable or undesirable places to work. But if we're talking about gaps that tend to be between school districts, then maybe you start to look at, you know, the state funding formula and the extent to which the funding formula might provide resources to a district that enables them to attract um, high quality teachers or, or less capacity to do that.
2: The level at which you would intervene in these issues is so important. So he- here in New York State, out in Long Island, we have Nassau County, which has just a couple of hundred thousand students. But in this one county, there are 54 separate, distinct, autonomous school districts. And thinking about what level you would intervene there is much trickier than in a Charlotte, Mecklenburg, or a Miami-Dade County, right? Yep. And so, so this kind of takes us to, to another question. So you've really laid out some important issues here, thinking about inequality and in, in teacher quality. So if you had a an education policy magic wand and you were the ed policy king for the day and resources were unlimited, what would you do tomorrow?
1: <laughs> you know, honestly, Doug, I can't even think. I'm an economist, so I can't even think in a world where resources are, are unlimited. So I'm going to put a little bit more constraint on myself in answering that question, and, and and say, let's say I had a little bit more flexibility on on resources, but I but I still wanted to try and address this this problem. I think what I would do tomorrow, the very first thing that I would do, is I would make it more financially rewarding for Teachers to be in challenging schools.
2: What what does the research tell us about the effectiveness of those approaches? Does paying um, teachers a little more are they more likely to stay in high need schools?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's now more research than certainly than there was a, a decade ago that shows that you know that finances and and salary make a difference in terms of both drawing people to a school and and keeping them there. And again, I want to try and point the listeners to a couple of of specifics. So I'm going to give you two, I'm going to give you three examples. One is a study that I did with a colleague, James Cowan, that looked at the likelihood that disadvantaged schools would be staffed by nationally board certified teachers and, and exploited the fact that in Washington state, if you're nationally board certified, you get an extra $5,000. But if you're nationally board certified, and you're serving in a higher poverty school, then you get an extra 10,000. So we're looking at that increment of 5000 to see if it makes a difference. And it looks like it it makes a difference. Another study is a, a Mathematica study, looking at what happens when you offer Teachers very large inducements. I think it is on the order of magnitude of twenty thousand dollars offered to effective teachers to move to more disadvantaged schools, and they found that it had an impact on achievement, and that the the twenty thousand dollars was a large enough inducement to get people to move, and that's that's probably the harder part and keep them there as long as the bonus continued to exist. And then the third study is a study by. Charles Klotfelter and colleagues that looked at a a bonus that existed in North Carolina for a couple of years for math and science teachers serving in high poverty schools. And I'm I'm probably not going to get this exactly right, but I think they estimated that that a relatively modest bonus, I I believe it was fifteen hundred dollars, reduced attrition of math and science teachers in those schools by about twenty percent. So I think we're starting to get a clearer picture that extra money matters. I don't think money's the the be all end all. I, I mean, I think that teachers care about the, you know, funding. And again, I think that sometimes serving in a challenging school is a more difficult job. And so essentially, the concept is you're paying them more, because serving in a school with with kids that are, are more needy, and maybe aren't coming to school, as ready to learn as schools serving a more affluent population, that, that is just more more challenging. But I also think there's a lot of evidence that there are other things that matter to teachers where there's not quite as direct a policy lever. So I think teachers care a great deal about the quality of their colleagues and the, and the environment in the school and the principal. So again, if I were educational mm-hmm. czar, I think that I would think hard about those kind of human resource issues and try to make sure that, I was doing things that try to create a, a good environment for teachers so that we did not see evidence that when disadvantaged schools hire novice teachers, and they're much more likely to hire novice teachers than are more advantaged schools, that those novice teachers, when they get a little more seasoning and they're becoming better because of the, the returns to that, again, the early career experience that they choose to stay in those schools because they say, hey, this is a this is a good place to work, both in terms of pay, but also in terms of the environment that I'm working in.
2: Right, right. So th- those are some things you might think about how to ameliorate some of these really important issues. But put your researcher hat back on for a second. If you could design the ideal study and, and collect the ideal data, what kind of study would you set up to really understand not only... How the issues surrounding teacher quality, but how to impact inequality in teacher quality?
1: So the, the study actually would look quite a lot like this Mathematica study that I referenced, which is which is referred to as the talent transfer initiative. And and it would basically be trying to tease out what are the the things that you can do to make a challenging school environment. And when I say challenging school environment, I mean schools that are, are serving disadvantaged students, more inviting to high quality teachers. And so the, the Mathematica study focused specifically on the financial aspect. I think I would look at a, a, other kinds of, of financial inducements. But I also think that I would look at some other experiments. You know, maybe if you serve in a challenging school, you get to have a slightly smaller class size. And, and that's something that um, teachers might appreciate. Maybe if you serve in a challenging school, you get to have special kinds of professional development opportunities or different kinds of release time opportunities to work with, with colleagues. You know, I think that despite the sort of general rhetoric in the world, about trying to provide equality of educational opportunity, we actually don't see as much focus as I guess I would like to see on specific interventions that are designed to address teacher quality gap. Why do you think that is? I I, I think I think that a large part of it is because the politics uh, work against addressing the problem. So I used to be on a school board. And, and so I'm going to speak with my school board hat on. And I'll tell you that we knew that if we moved a highly effective and beloved teacher from an advantaged school to a disadvantaged school, that that probably creates both a lot of consternation at the school where the teacher is moved from, and that in, in downstream it actually might hurt your chances for re-election because turnout is higher in more advantaged schools. And so the, just the sort of the electoral politics work against moving resources and certainly beloved teachers might be considered a, a, an important resource from advantaged schools to disadvantaged schools. So I, I guess in terms of thinking about that reality, um, it suggests that maybe it's more politically feasible to do things to prevent people from leaving, you know, prevent key teachers from leaving the disadvantaged schools. But that requires us to have a good handle on who we think are more effective and less effective teachers. And that gets into the politically thorny issue of teacher evaluations, because you have to have some means of targeting teachers. So if, for instance, you really wanted to address the problem, then you would hope that you'd be able to say to a highly effective teacher, hey, if you stay in this disadvantaged school, we'll give you some extra pay, we'll give you some extra release time, smaller classes, etc. But you really want to target that to certain kinds of teachers. And we've had a very difficult time in this country creating evaluation systems that meaningfully differentiate teachers. So while I can do this research where I'm using value added, that is not something that is widely used by states for these kinds of policies.
2: Or certainly local school districts.
1: Sure, that's absolutely right.
2: So there's, there's, in addition to the value added, there's an
1: entirely
2: different can of worms that Yet the crux of this whole issue is the fact that there is variability in teacher quality. And if there was you know, less variability, we raise the mean and reduce the standard deviation of teacher quality. The issue of inequality in teacher quality would be less. And so we don't have a lot of time to go into this. But what about trying to fix the pipeline of teacher quality to begin with before they even get into the classroom?
1: <laughs> that is. That is a great question, and actually it's the subject of, of quite a lot of the work that I'm doing with with Roddy Theobald, uh, who's, who is a co-author on this paper that we're talking about, but it's, it's work that's focused on teacher preparation, and can we figure out ways to better prepare teachers so that they're all more ready, but maybe that there's less variance in teacher quality. And actually, Doug, I'm glad mm-hmm. that you raised this as an issue because there's one other thing that I would point out. Connected to this, to this teacher preparation work, we're seeing just how predictive it is where you do your student teaching is, where you end up in a first job. So in Washington state, it's around 20% of first jobs are places where the teacher who got the job did their student teaching. And so that suggests that the allocation of student teaching is itself a policy lever to address equity concerns. And the whole structure of student teaching tends to, I think, reinforce some degree of inequity, because student teaching tends to occur around where teacher education programs are, and the student teaching tends to occur in school districts that are more advantaged. So I think that Preparation side is both a way that you hope that you could have people more ready on day one, and and maybe reduce the variance in teacher effectiveness, but also think about some other ways to address the teacher quality gaps that we see.
2: Oh, that's super interesting. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do what researchers hate to do. I'm gonna ask you to go beyond your data here for just a second. Lots of folks, researchers, politicians, public policy people have really begun focusing on early childhood education. You know, before kids even start kindergarten, because there's lots of research suggesting that there's a huge proportion of, of cognitive inequality is present when kids walk through the kindergarten door. And, and some evidence that it, it doesn't grow that much um, over the next 13 years. So what are the implications, if any, of what you're working on and thinking about for birth to five?
1: Are there implications of this for early childhood education at all? Sure. I mean, I'd, I'd hearken back to this um, this Calder working paper that I I pointed you toward, and say, well, we find that the allocation of teachers from grades three to eight has what I would characterize as 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 meaningful impacts on the student outcomes gap. We're still only talking about fifteen to twenty percent of the gap, so a lot of the gap uh, has to do with what happens in a kid's life, whether it's at home or in neighborhood or in schools prior to the third grade. And I think we need to do more to intervene at that stage when I believe that the hard sciences suggest that your, your brain is actually much more malleable. On that front, and again, I want to say this is, this is Dan speculating as opposed to a lot of empirical evidence, I would guess that the kinds of teacher quality inequities that we've documented from grades three to eight also exist earlier on for, for, for the same kind of reasons that structurally I think that we have some systems in, in the way schooling works. And I'm talking about preschool and kindergarten too, that would tend to reinforce inequities. Early on in a child's schooling experiences,
2: maybe we've just teed you up for your next decade of studies on teacher quality. Then,
1: maybe you know. Actually, th- th- that raises one one more issue. In a lot of ways, this this study I think affirms what has been suggested by particular one-off research pieces, and certainly has been believed. My hope is that. Helping to make this issue more transparent and put magnitudes on what has been a belief leads to some policy action. I do think that um, that documenting the magnitude of inequities really does help us as a society kind of bend our minds around addressing them.
2: Dan, this is really great work that you and Calder are doing, and I encourage all of our listeners to go read the full article, Teacher Quality Gaps in U.S. Public Schools, Trends, Sources, and Implications. It's available in the May 2019 issue of Phi Delta Kappa Magazine or at kappanonline.org. Dan, it's been a real pleasure
1: speaking with you today. Doug, it's been great talking with you as well.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRE Knowledge Hub. To learn more about today's topic, pick up the May 2019 issue of CAPIN Magazine, titled Educational Resources and Equity, now available in print and online at CAPINOnline.org. For more episodes of this podcast, or to subscribe to the series, visit us at CPREHub.org. That's C P R E Hub.org. To share thoughts on today's episode, or to suggest future topics, follow us on Twitter at cprehub.